Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Mental Health Today. I'm your host, Ken. And uh, this, this show is all about mental health, um, people who are going through mental health experiences, uh, people who are in this space uh, from, a, from a government standpoint, kind of designing policy, people helping finance, uh, people that are also creating products. We also have had quite a few uh, people who are creating solutions, uh, new stuff, old modalities, and just a great place to come and learn about I mean, what's happening in the mental health space and to get a great education. Sponsored by the JAR Foundation. Um, I'm also the host for the JAR Live or the JAR Podcast, which you just saw a little commercial about me driving around the country and interviewing a bunch of people uh, all across the world. And one of the you know interesting is we cast a wide net on mental health and we start reaching out. Um, it's very interesting to see the stories that come out and what roles different people are playing uh, in the space and in how mental health is kind of playing a role in their life and how those two sometimes have some synchronicity. Lois, our next guest, tell us all about it. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a guest. Uh, and I'll, and I'll just give you back the microphone and let you let you kind of tell your little backstory and and run with it. Thank you, Ken. I'm delighted to be here. I am, as you said, Lois Letchford. I'm the author of the book Reverse to Memoir, which is a story of education and an inspirational story of education. I'm an educator, a private tutor, and an and a speaker. But I wanted to talk about mental health because it's really tough, but mm. it comes from a story. And the story began when my second son went to school in 1994. He went to school and he failed. He wet his pants, he bit his fingernails, and me, mother, sent him to school every single day. Oof. Testing revealed that he could read 10 words, he's got no strength and he's got a low IQ. What I didn't know, was that his teacher shouted at him every single day. Uh. No one told me. And it was acceptable for them to shout at him because this child is dumb. He's not very smart, so it doesn't matter what we do. Oh, goodness. The school diagnostician then says to me, well, you know, he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. I had the opportunity to work with him over six months and, and it was very interesting. You and I were talking and you said you've got this accent and I'm not connecting the dots. Well, <laughs> the dots are difficult to connect. I'm Australian and my son went to school in Australia in 1994. That's where this mm. disastrous thing happened. We travelled internationally with my husband's work, nothing to do with Nicholas. But Nicholas happened to gain. I taught him for six months. And initially I failed 
and then I changed the teaching. And what I found was that instead of having a child that was dumb, I had this child who asked questions I could not answer. Mm. I learned that he could learn and that he was a curious child. That six months was transformative. Now, my book is about our story. I'm not talking about my book today. Mm. I'm talking about what happened after that. My son graduated high school in 2007 in the top 20% of his class. In 2013, he graduated with two undergraduate degrees, one in mathematics and one in engineering. Whoa. In 2018, he completed a PhD in applied mathematics from Oxford University. Whoa. Right. It's pretty dumb. I mean, it's pretty good for a dumb kid. I mean, you know, it it makes me feel pretty. It's pretty intimidating. For what? Where am I on that spectrum? Holy cow! That's quite an accomplishment. And then, okay, how, yeah. How? What? I mean, what's that? Hmm. That's not the story. Okay. <laughs> this is the story. After he graduated, confident, articulate child, and capable. I said to him, Nicholas, I don't remember. I didn't talk to you about what happened in first grade. You know, I didn't know. Can you tell me what happened? My son sat there and cried. His tongue went round and round in his mouth and not a word emerged. And for the first time, I'm realising that something that had happened 20 plus years ago had impacted his life and we had done nothing about it. Hmm. You talk about mental health. The story has two components. One is the trauma that happened in first grade. And yes, we were incredibly privileged to get out of it. The other yeah. story is what would have happened and could have happened if we had not had that extreme privilege, because my son was just dumb. And I've got a quote here, and mm. I think, you know, because of my son's experience, I did a podcast called When Learning is Trauma. I finished it for the time being. Because when we send these children to school and we're forced to, the law says your child must go to school. Yes we unfortunately put them into situations that they should never be allowed to face. Mm. And I think this quote is from The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. And it says, <clears throat> current experiences that have similar emotional qualities to our past experiences are often linked in the mind. Loss connects to prior loss through brain cell networks, holding past memories, emotions, physical sensations and beliefs. In one second, we can go from feeling like a competent adult to feeling like the young child re-experiencing loss. Subjectivity, we feel, like the trauma is happening all over again even though it's only a memory. It's a real thing. 
that sounds like that's what happened to your son at that moment. <clears throat> like that's spot exactly on. What what else do I need to say? Yeah. And what did, I mean, was he able to eventually kind of articulate what happened? Like what he went through the... Didn't Not understand. to me. Not Wow. Me. He has since, I mean, he is married. He has got this incredible wife who is so supportive and he has been in therapy since. Yeah. And that has been transformative. And the positive, the other side of that was that I knew grade one was horrendous, but when he and I learned together the year after, I said, I'm, you know, Nicholas, tell me about that. And he laughed and he said, I remember the poems you wrote for me. And he named the poems, uh, Windmill on the Hill and other poems that I wrote for him. And, and he said the mapping, because I taught him about world mapping, he said the mapping taught me to love learning and I never want to stop learning. And then he started giggling and he said, you wrote a poem about a witch's spell. I said, I did, Nicholas, I did. And he said, it was just so funny. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember it being hilarious. So... We have two emotions here. One is the failure that occurred yeah, yeah. that we hadn't dealt with. And the other is the change that transformed the learning from horrific to hilarious. Too funny. <clears throat> Mental health has, we've got to stop the failure happening that traumatizes our children for life. It really That's is my life. story. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> I, I love it. Um, but how? I mean, I think you know, school is like you said. You can homeschool in America. You know, we got choice in America on that. You can keep your kids home um, for schooling. And there's, and I think there's going to be versions of that coming out where you can yes. use the facilities. You can be part of the sports or music or art. Uh, but the core subjects you can, you know, you don't have to go to class for. Yeah. You can you can learn and yeah. st certify outside of class, which makes a lot a whole lot of sense, yeah. especially after what we went through with COVID. Yes. Um, now we can find out that we can probably educate differently, um, yes. just like work. So, yes. I mean, that might be one approach. What do you? What are going to be some of the innovations, or what are some of the things you can do? I don't, you know, I kind of hate to say you got to protect the kids, because but that's what it is. Um, you know, how do you ensure that it's an open environment? You know, you know what I mean? So what's your ideas? What are you thinking about? How does this, how do you manifest this into something? Um, you know, my personal story was really, the timing was really difficult because I had three sons hmm. and, and he was the second one. So I had a younger son at home. And when I taught him the next year, I had my parents-in-law deal with a three-year-old because Nicholas has auditory processing difficulties and he needed a quiet space to learn. Mm. And without that, this, there was an enormous struggle. He wouldn't concentrate. And it's, we very quickly blame the child rather than changing the circumstances. So we've got to find circumstances mm. that work for the child, which is, you know, sometimes we can do, sometimes we can't. Families need a lot more support. 
to even teach children who were as challenging as Nicholas. Now, Nicholas, on a scale of 1 to 100, sits on the second percentile. So, you know, he was incredibly difficult to teach. But we have to see more than a dumb kid. Yeah, that's that seems like the lowest. Um, sounds like that might have been the teacher. A little. Well, it's the somebody teacher. Looked, it's the testing. It's everything. You know. Yeah. Actually, interesting. It's the whole system in that case, right? You got you got failed by the system. We did. And you have a test that proves that the teaching couldn't do any better. Yeah, yeah, which is perfect. Closed loop. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, then my mental health comes into play because I became a reading specialist because of my son and our experiences. Mm. And the paper that I still have drilled into my brain is called Beyond the Deficit Theory. And it's, it's written by an Australian educator who said, the moment our children fail, the first thing we do is blame the child. We give a dozen reasons why the child can't learn. And not one of them is to look at how we're teaching. And I had mental health issues when I, when I read that paper because <laughs> exactly what happened to my son. No one said the problem lies in how we're teaching. Hmm. <clears throat> how did You're get... right. It's a closed yeah. loop. Sorry. Yeah, it's a close. Well, it's perfectly. <clears throat> I mean, that's what you want to do. It's right. It's um, it's kind of a self. The whole purpose of that exercise is to just to validate that the system is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that the system didn't the system didn't break down. Right. So it's yeah. definitely going to end up with being the the student. And it's interesting because that's that's literally one teaching approach. So you're measuring this student, which is the kind of the subject, right? And you're you're validating this subject ability to handle that certain methodology, right? And if you change the methodology, yes. you might get a different result. Yes. But that's not yes. an option. That's not an option. So you fail the yes. you fail the validator. <clears throat> the validation of you know, the person of you know, which is the student, just couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is for sure. And I mean, the mental health stuff uh, over on my JAR podcast, the the stories that people share about what happens as children and the impact of that so many years later, um, a lot of people are just now, I think there's so many people that are now discovering that that's a thing and are finding yes. out and visiting the, the childhood <clears throat> and kind of seeing what happened to them and going, oh, I mean, I remember all this, all this happened to me, but I didn't realize it's still in my life still today. My... I have a wonderful sister and she's a mental health expert. And she said mm. to me, Lois, what's happened is that's a memory. And we have to shift that from the memory to language. We have to talk uh... about it. And once you start talking about it, you shift the pain from the memory to language and it shifts where it's stored in the brain. And that's the important thing. But I think uh, talking to it with a therapist is better. That it might be more better, better, more effective than just talking. I'm not sure. But we need help to shift that memory from that traumatic experience to language. 
understand. I never knew that that, see, now I always, I've always, in my own mind, hard to reconcile picking at an old memory, like a scab, <clears throat> and, and not letting it, you know, not that it's going to heal by itself, um, but, you know, you can, you can treat it well enough. And, and it's not, you know, it's not, you know, why do, you, why do I want to pick at something like that over and over again? You know, let's recognize it, look at it, give it its space, and then try to build new memories and, you know, things, happier stuff to talk about and, and things that'll, so, but if it's, if the purpose is to turn the event or to turn the trauma out of the memory of muscle memory and out of the body's memory by switching it and transforming it into language. That's an interesting, okay. Then that explains to me, I can totally accept that as being the, the logic. Mm -hmm. The logic and, and then it's no longer something <clears throat> that's like a thorn in your, in your brain all the yeah. time. And that's what we wanted, wanting to do. You know, the, again, there's two components. One, I never want that memory. That memory should never have been formed had the teaching been effective and there had been a thought, this isn't an acceptable way to teach that child. Yeah, or he's just not right for this stream. I mean, this particular yeah. stream is meant for is meant for the 80 percentile of people, right? It's going to handle 80 per, 80 percent of people in the community can come in here and they can get through here reasonably yeah. well. Some of them easier than others, but you know, but the next 20 percent we got to have you know, and most of those can probably be taken care of by another stream, just a little slightly different. And then you're going to have probably kids like your son, which need more one-on-one, -on -one, a little bit more deeper evaluation, how to reach them. Yeah. I mean, that should be the, that it's kind of surprising that that, I mean, that seems like, like we've just solved how to teach in, in about 15 minutes yeah. or five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to value that child, to value our six and seven year olds, and say, you know, instead of saying that kid's dumb, my approach is to say that child is a future rocket scientist. How am I going to teach them? Elon Musk is, you, you listen to Elon Musk. I don't know what he was like when he was five or seven, but he would have been, I would have guessed, slightly awkward. I mean, he's on the, spec yes. he's on the spectrum. Yes. He's already, he's got a very interesting cadence to his speaking. And, and it's, it'll, it's a little off-putting to me when I first started listening to him. But once I got in his rhythm and understood how he thinks and speaks and how he's like, the gears are grinding, then I can, I can, I'm in, like, then I can get into the Elon, like there's, a, there's literally a way to listen to him speak. Otherwise, he will drive you a little bit bananas. Um, yeah. But I would imagine when he was a kid, thank God he had some smart parents. Otherwise, he'd be a he'd yeah. be a he wouldn't be who he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know I have taught children since my son. That's I that's what I ended up doing because he was so challenging to teach. But one of my toughest kids was fifteen years old when he came to me, hmm. and he couldn't read ten years ten words oh, after goodness. spending ten years in school. What? Yeah, crazy. Yeah. I taught him to read over the next three years, grades 10, 11, and 12. He was reading, but not at a level that allowed him to be functional as an adult. Mm. The mental health issues with that child are ongoing. 
child. I call him a child. He's an adult, similar age to my son's. It breaks my heart because we we have to get the foundations right mm. to give our children a chance of good mental health in the future. Yeah, and I think you know, I think it's it's interesting. I don't know what kind of tools we've got for kids in the mental health conversation and what what those conversations look like with kids about you know when you you know do we have the same kind of conversations and reach out messages that we have with adults like if you're having these thoughts they aren't really very healthy have you considered talking to someone you know and i don't know what age you can have that conversation with kids but certainly by 10, 11, 12, 13, I would guess kids are open to some version of that message where they, you know, could talk to their mom and dad. So it could be, you know, not always going to be mom or dad having that, but maybe it is school or somebody else or the, you know, somewhere that they can get the message that, hey, it's okay to talk to your mom and dad. If you're feeling like this or that, it's probably, you know, something you should talk to your mom and dad about. Um Start early with this education around mental fitness. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it because, as you can gather, you know, I'm not, I'm, I am Australian, but I'm not living in Australia at the yes. moment. But we've lived around the world, and my, we taught. I taught in Lubbock, Texas, for a while. My oh, first cool. student was 13 years old and non-reading. He had spent four years in a phonics-only reading program. And he said to me, he, no, he didn't say to me, but afterwards he said to me, I didn't think you would ever be able to teach me. I didn't think I was teachable. And Goodness great. We, Good God. That's so yeah. sad. That's, that's the message we give our children. You are unteachable. And instead of you are unteachable, the message should be just like what you're saying. How are you feeling doing this program? We have IEP meetings after IEP meeting to have these children meet yeah. targets that are irrelevant instead of saying, is this working, is this not working? Hmm. It's not working. He's been there for two years. He's made no progress. Get him out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Get him out. Yeah, that's... Provide something else. Is it, my my kids were very, I mean, fort very fortunate. We had a good, um, when when they were going to school, my youngest... <clears throat> it's not that long ago. I mean, but more than 10 years, something. And she was coming home from class. She had a math class. And she she's there were times when she struggled in school, younger. When she was younger, yeah. she she really did struggle. And uh, I think the you know, the environment, learning environments, not socially, because she's socially okay, but it was just a um just you know, hard, hard to get it. A, to get it in, right, and, and absorb it in this math class. Mm -hmm. And she was coming home, and she was basically punting in the class. I'm sure she was just there just taking whatever notes, the bare brain power she would exert because the, her and the teacher just did not jive. Yeah. And she'd come home, and she found like two or three people on YouTube. There were these teachers who could explain it and, and she was kind of saying, you know, telling me, oh, the way this person, I just totally get it right away. As yeah. soon as the way they say it, I understand. And then I go in and it's like, this guy's talking Chinese. 
and I don't speak any Chinese. And he's talking and he's talking English and math, but I don't understand anything he's saying. And then I get to this guy, and it's like baby language. And he and he continues to talk Chinese. So there's a gap. Oh, yeah. What the, child, what oh, the yeah. child is is learning and what the teacher is teaching. And yep. there's no gap in between. I mean, your daughter was incredibly lucky <clears throat> that we she lives in the day and age that we do. Yes. Oh. And that she could go to the and she knew she could she go knew. and use these resources. Yeah. Solving the problem. Interesting. You have internet and access to all of these yeah. things. Yeah. Does everyone else? Or do they get told? What's the message <clears> they're <throat> being told? Well, you're just not doing enough work. Well, why didn't you do that homework and repeat the 2,000 problems that I asked you to do last night? That, that you don't, that, that I spoke when I gave in Chinese, you didn't understand it. Yes, yes, <clears throat> yes. And you, and you just didn't do enough work. It, it, the whole scenario of teaching and learning is fascinating to me. But, you know, to even give your daughter or give children an option when you're not learning it this way, Let's find another way around it. It's not your fault. The problem lies in how that message is coming to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the, the the bottom line. It's really all about the it's communication and then the, the methodology that they're using. And I don't, yes. like I said, a lot of people, if it's a good teacher, if the curriculum's well done and you have a good teacher, you're going you're gonna to satisfy 80% of the people to a, a high enough level. 80% up to 80% proficiency. You're going to get the message through. But those are not always easy. Getting a good curriculum, not as easy as you think. And finding good teachers, very hard. Not as easy as Yeah. And allowing the, allowing the child to put their hand up and say, I'm not getting it. Yeah. And to not blame, to say, mm. ah, the teacher has to say, what else do I have to do? And that's my role as a teacher when I get children who are struggling. What have they got? What have they missed? What do I have to do? Hmm. Yeah, I think I was pretty lucky growing up. I had most of my teachers would encourage people to raise their hand, put their hand up and then offer that up. Yeah. But I was lucky, you know, maybe I was lucky, but I was also, I was definitely one of those kids, man. I mean, no one called me stupid, but I was definitely not the rocket scientist in the room growing up. Um, and whatever the way they taught for sure was not for me. I mean, I proved, you know, in the end I proved, you know, figured out it wasn't stupid, uh, you know, and I wasn't just average. Um, it was, I still haven't figured that out. Yeah. Oh, no, I kind of, I, I just figured if I got this far, I was like above average, um, you know, like a 70, but I don't know what, I, I don't know if that really means, you know, cause I think you never have 70% of the people doing that. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> I, I love think, that. I love it. I don't think my teaching experience, my learn as a student experience, was that great. Um, honestly, all the way through, I had some nice people that I had caring people, a lot of people that cared, but I don't think that the I don't think that the skill level and the you know the the desire to understand techniques, etc., was around when I was a kid. I think they were just showing yes. up, kind of doing their deal. You know, you asked how Nicholas got went from the bottom to the top and we moved, not for Nicholas, but with my husband's job. But he also had some teachers who were who believed in him 
Yeah. See, somewhere along the way. Yeah. And particularly in mathematics. Um, his mathematics in high school were the teachers who saw the value in him. Because other teachers didn't. And particularly mm. mathematics, teachers didn't see the value in him. They just saw the problem. Or they heard about the problem in the teacher's lounge coming your way next no. year. No, worse than that. Period one, well, day one, period one of middle school. The, and he, Nicholas thought, you know, I'm pretty good at mathematics. And he had done a test, he'd done the standardized test in Texas. And he got 55 out of 56 in sixth grade. And he went in and he said, I want to try one pre-AP class. And it was period one, day one in middle school. And he'd moved to a brand new school. So no one knew. He knew no one. And the teacher didn't know him. But she asked them to write the parent's name and address on an index card in a particular way. And their phone number and this and that and the other. Nicholas couldn't do it. She tore the cards up. She threw it. She humiliated him publicly. And again, that was another memory that caused Nicholas to cry when he's an adult. Yeah, good God. Yeah, that would make you crush you. Yeah. He lasted one week in that class. <laughs> yeah, that's a long, that's probably too long. That's five days too many. Yeah, it was. It was. And yeah. again, the same thing. The trauma, the tears, and I watched him go into school one day, mm. and I just thought, "This is grade one all over again. We're not doing this. We don't have to do this." Nicholas, get out of that class. It's not important. It's not mm. going to impact your life. We're going to a regular maths class. That's all we need to do. We did it. Did it stop him getting a PhD in applied mathematics? Yeah. No. That is so funny. Turns out he was kind of good at math. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> turn, turn, turns out he was kind of good. <laughs> that is so funny. I wonder what those teachers are doing now. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation, Lois. Um, we're kind of at the end. How about some? How about some closing thoughts um, for the audience, and you know, just maybe even even a message to your to your future self. A message to my future self, that's a tough one, but to parents when our children yeah. are struggling, believe in that little child mm. and know we're building a foundation for life. We're not getting them through the year, but a foundation and memories for life. Make sure they're good ones so that we don't have to go down this really tough mm. mental health route. Build their mental health as we teach them to live and learn and read in school. Ah, beautiful. Is that the message that I think we need to give our kids? Kids, it is. I, I was going to say this one of the last comment. You know, I think um, I bet one of those math teachers somewhere along the way said some powerful words to Nicholas. And, and I don't doubt just one or two of them saying, I think you're pretty good at math. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know, my closing message for the audience is those I remember a teacher telling me one time, man, it's like early school memory was you write good. I like your writing or there was a way the creative part of it. And, and that man, I held on to that. 
like you can't imagine. And yeah. so the, the powerful words that we can say to children are encouraging. And the ones that yeah. when we, when we lose control of our tongues and we say stupid stuff, man, that stuff burns and it stays in the body apparently forever yeah. until, until someone works it out. Thanks again, Lois, for being a guest. <clears throat> After a heavy conversation like that, I think there's only one thing we can do to clean it out and that's have a little cow therapy. I'll see you on the other side, Lois. Hang out for a minute. Lovely. Thanks everybody. Thank you. For, yeah. Thanks everybody for supporting uh, the, the mental health today, tuning in, sharing and all that good stuff. See you on the other side. Hey everybody. It's cow time, cow concerts. They've been out in the field all day, running around, having fun. And uh, now they're here for a little entertainment. Night two here in Sundance, and uh, like last night, I mean, let's say last night, last night I kind of had to play, but tonight the cows have been just all in this field back there the whole day. And I just looked out my window and they were over here, and here they are. Concert's over.